as always. Let's all stand. What an awesome opportunity we have today. We understand, certainly intellectually, we read the Scriptures and we've heard preaching enough to know that God can do anything. Uh, if, if polled, I think 100% of the people present here today would say yes, that God can do anything. But the way we live sometimes, the way we make decisions, uh, doesn't always reflect that, does it? So I want to encourage us this morning to think for just a moment, to muse, to meditate, to, to try to imagine the things that God can do for you. The things that God can do in your life today, right now. Can He heal your body? Can He save your soul? Can He forgive you of anything? Can He restore whatever it is you've done in your life? Can He provide a, a miraculous financial blessing to take you out of a, a, a tough situation? Can He literally or figuratively just pick you up out of a bad situation and put you on a mountaintop? If we can imagine these things, imagine how much greater He wants to do in our lives. Exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or even think is what He desires to do in our lives, in our midst. So as we pray, let's understand that God is a miraculous, a supernatural God. The present circumstances are irrelevant to Him. Whatever it is you're good or bad or neutral. They're irrelevant to Him. He can change all of that in a moment. He is not depending on our abilities or talents. He's not depending on uh, how much time I have in the day. He can make the time available. He can do whatever He wants to do to get done what He wants to do in our lives. Amen. So let's release Him in our lives today. Let's release Him into the service today. And understand that He can do great and mighty things if we'll just trust Him for it. If we'll take Him at His Word and believe Him for it. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation. I am thankful for the faithful saints of God present in this place today. I pray, Lord, a blessing upon this congregation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that as we open our eyes of faith, that we stir the faith that is in us, as we exercise the faith that You've given each of us, I pray, O oh God, that You would begin to move wondrously and gloriously and miraculously in each and every situation. Maybe some people here are... Everything's going great. I pray for them as well that You would make them even greater. That You would do even more in their lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand the great things You're wanting to do through us. The great things, the mighty things that You desire to do in our midst. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus! All eyes, all hearts, all ears are attent unto the Lord God today. We are attent unto Your voice. We are looking to You, Lord Jesus, for help in our time of need. We are looking to You for wisdom and for understanding, for guidance. We are looking to You for whatever it is we have need of today. And we are expecting awesome things of an awesome God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We worship You beforehand. I praise You for that we are to receive today. I thank You, Lord Jesus, for the great and mighty things that You are about to accomplish in our midst. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are an awesome God. You are a glorious God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When You decree a decree, nothing can stop it from happening. When you say something is going to happen, it must happen. When you open a door, no man can close it. When you close the door, no man can open it. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are sovereign in this and in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. He's an awesome God, folks. And He desires to do awesome things. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. And our uh, young adults and teens class can be dismissed at this time. So many words in one sentence is hard for me. <laughs> Amen. 
And while they're heading downstairs, uh, we're going to review last week. Amen. Last week, uh, we understood that uh, Solomon had a dream. God came to Solomon in a dream and he asked him a question, a very revealing question. We all know that God speaks to us in dreams, although all dreams are not from God. Uh, but this one we knew was from God, because uh, that's what the Bible says. Amen. So, God asks Solomon a question. What would you desire of me? Ask anything and I'll give it to you. Very revealing question. <clears throat> I would have been tempted to ask, is this a test? One guy, when asked that question, said, everything's a test. I don't know if that's true, but in any case, Solomon's answer would reveal what was in his heart, right? Whatever Solomon asked for, that's, that's what his heart would be desiring. That, that, that would be the core of his being. Interestingly, uh, as far as we can tell in Scripture, this is the first time God had spoken directly to Solomon. And uh, I find it fascinating that Solomon knew that this was God. There seemed to be no question in Solomon that, that this was God. And, uh, I mean, I, I look at the account of Samuel. Samuel was a great prophet. He was a mighty, mightily used of God, but his first time he was very confused. He thought it was Eli speaking to him three times. But Solomon, he, he just knew that this was God. In any case, uh, our lesson uh, is that we need to be sensitive to the voice of God. We need to know when God is speaking to us and when He's not. Uh, I don't know how many people have I've, I've spoken with. Oh yeah, the Lord is talking to me and He's saying this and He's saying that. And I'm like, no, He's not. That's not God. That directly contradicts Scripture. Oh, yeah, God said I didn't need to come to church. I could just have church at home. And um, No, no, he didn't say that. Someone, I believe someone said that to you, but it wasn't God. So we need, we need to be careful. We need to understand. My sheep hear my voice, he, he told us. And uh, if we are his sheep, then we need to be familiar and comfortable with the voice of the Good Shepherd, don't we? Amen. Solomon's request was not for himself, but it was for God's people. He didn't ask wisdom of himself so I could be the wisest man in the world and everyone would come to hear me speak and teach and I'll be famous. That wasn't the reason he asked for that. He asked for wisdom so that he could go out and come in amongst God's people so that he could judge righteous judgment. And that, that request pleased God. And he gave him everything else that he did not ask for. But when we ask of God, as much as possible, we need to make sure that it's not for ourselves. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but as much as possible, uh, we should be asking for other people's benefits to advance God's kingdom, to advance uh, God's name and his gospel in the earth. That should be our focus. That should be our primary uh, burden, the thing that's in our heart. Now, do we have legitimate needs? Yeah, absolutely we do. So, can we bring those to God too? You bet we can. God is delighted to receive those requests as well. Amen. If I, got a, if I need a healing in my body, I mean, why do I want the healing? Let's look at that for a moment. Because I'm miserable. Well, that may be, I mean, depending on the situation... I mean, there are some people who are in an incredible amount of pain. I would want relief from that too. Absolutely. And I think, I think God would receive that request. He wouldn't be angry if I brought that request to Him. Why aren't you praying for the lost? Well, I am praying for the lost, but I'm also praying for this. Amen. So, he, we, we can feel comfortable and confident bringing those needs before Him as well. But if my, if my desire for healing is so that I can more effectively serve you, I can't serve you like I want to when I'm bedridden. I can't serve you like I want to uh, when I have zero energy or I, I can't get out of the house. 
I think God is, I think God is pleased with that motivation, that, that reason for bringing that request to Him. The other one is, the other one is valid. I want relief from my pain. I want, I want energy. I, I, I want to be able to function normally. I think that's just as one example. But again, as much as possible, intercessory prayer, uh, as much as possible, the, the idea that my prayers, my supplications to God are because of other people's needs. If I can focus on other people's needs, folks, God is going to take care of my needs. I don't need to worry about that, that stuff. I don't need to worry about uh, what's going to happen in my life. If I can focus on praying for God's kingdom, advancing the kingdom of God, advancing His plan, His will, all of my needs are taken care of by default. Uh, if I need a healing, I'm going to pray for as much as I can. I'm going to pray for someone else's healing. And then God's going to take care of me. If I'm in financial straits, I'm going to pray for someone else's financial condition and do whatever it is I can to help. Amen. I don't know if I've ever been so strapped financially. I've been pretty strapped, and a lot of you have been too. We understand what that is. But I, I don't think I have ever been so strapped that I couldn't give a dollar in the offering plate to, to, to a missionary. Fifty cents. A quarter. I've always had something that I could use to help someone else, even if it's nothing, a mite. And when we do that, folks, God rushes in and takes care of my situation. Amen. I've seen it happen too many times. God gives Solomon an opportunity to use the gift that He gave to Solomon. Folks, when God gives us a gift, it's not so we can jump up and shout and say, God gave me a gift. Thank you, Jesus. Well, that's a good start, but He wants us to use that gift, doesn't He? He wants us to use that gift for His purpose, for His kingdom, for His glory. Amen. So when God gives you a gift, folks, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just a nobody. I'm just, uh, I'm not like that. That's not me. Use the gift, folks. We all know it's not yours. It's God's. God gave it to you. You don't have to put on these false pretenses and this false humility. Go out and use it. Find every opportunity you can to demonstrate the gift that God has given you. Don't apologize for it. If He's given you more gifts than me, I don't care. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to use them. I really do. I want you to glorify God in the gifts, the talents that He's given each of you. Please do that. Show me up. I don't care. Actually, I do care. I want you to. Use those gifts. Use them. Use them. Use them. That's why He gave them to you. He understands what His church needs. He understands what His body needs. If I needed another gift, He'd provide it to me. So don't worry about it. If He needed to give you another gift, He'd give it to you. Don't worry about the gifts that other people have. Worry about the gifts that He's given you. Build them. Use them. Find every excuse to use them. Every opportunity to use them. And God's going to give you opportunities to use them. Just like He did Solomon. God answered His prayer mightily. And immediately, He came into a situation where that wisdom would be necessary. And He exercised the gift that God gave Him. And the rest, as they say, is history. So use those gifts, folks. Don't apologize. Daily devotions. Although Solomon had wisdom above any before him, he had wisdom above any that followed him. There will never be another one like Solomon except for Jesus. That wisdom that God gave him allowed him to rule God's people wondrously. But it it never seemed like he could rule his, his own person, his own self. He was always a slave to his passions, his lusts. And um, there's a lesson there for us as well. 
First and foremost, before we are in charge of anybody or anything, we've got to get this in check. We have got to discipline ourselves. We've got to rule over our own person, our own bodies, our own minds. Amen. That comes first. If I can't rule myself, I have no business trying to tell anybody else what to do. He ruled others, but he couldn't rule himself. Self-government. Amen. Day one, every leader we've ever respected, at least every leader I've respected, depended on something other than position or title. Most people, uh, if their leader is, you got to do this because I'm your boss. you got to do this because my name is higher on the org chart than yours is. My box is higher than your box, so you got to do what I say. Generally, that doesn't garner a whole lot of respect with most people. Now, if that person who is above you on the org chart helps you out, answers questions, makes himself or herself available to you, uh, generally they're going to be more respected. They're not depending on a position or title. They're depending on something else entirely, something higher than that. They're led by a higher standard. The devotion spoke about a bare minimum society. That is absolutely true. They will do just the bare minimum to squeak by. Students that I speak to, they're content to get an F plus, a D minus. I'm passing. That's the goal? Passing? And these are smart people. They're on their phones doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're on computers doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They're smart. They speak it. Okay, they don't always speak intelligently. But they could if they wanted to. They can hold an intelligent conversation. So they're not, they're smart people. But they have no drive, they have no desire, they have no passion to excel or to grow. They just want to do the bare minimum. At work, I see this a lot at work, especially, I mean, I hate to say it, but in the younger generation. They'll just do the bare minimum. You tell them to do something, and I'm thinking, you know, they're going to do a good job. They're going to look and make sure everything, no, they'll do to the letter what I tell them to do. No more. Well, why didn't you? You didn't tell me to do that. So then I got to spend five, ten minutes explaining in detail every single item that needs to be done. The bare minimum society. That can creep into the church, folks. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we can get a bare minimum mentality. What's the least I have to do for God to stay saved? What's the least I have to do to be considered a Christian? And that ought not be our, our attitude. That ought not be our mindset. What is the absolute most that I can do for God? What did Jesus do for you? I know what He did for me. And there's, there's not enough time in the rest of my life to even scratch the surface to, to come close to making up for what Jesus did for me. If I spend every waking moment of every day that I have left doing whatever I could for Jesus, just fasting and praying and, and missionary work and standing on a street corner preaching, whatever it is, I couldn't make up for everything He's done for me. So what ought I be doing for the Lord? What should my attitude be when it comes to service to the kingdom of God? What more can I do? What more can I do for you? What more can I give to you? What can I do to advance your kingdom? That should be my attitude. That should be the desire of my heart. Not the bare minimum. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the second service, Lord willing. Day two. What we, what we want, I'm sorry, we see what we want and expect to see. This is what human beings do. They do it all the time. It's a, it's a cognitive bias. Uh, no time to get into all that. We've 
touched on some of that before. But what I'm expecting to see, that's probably what I'm going to see. What I'm expecting to hear from someone, that's probably what I'm going to hear. If I'm expecting you to turn me down and you tell me yes, we've seen this before in, in, in skits and movies and stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I figured that'd be your answer. I'm sorry to... Wait, what? What did you say? We were expecting a no. And the yes, it didn't register. That's what people do. We've talked about evolution and creation a lot. They're missing links. You know, atheists are very, very uh, logical and very scientific and very dogmatic when it comes to Scripture and, and spiritual things. I want to see it. I, yeah, well, what about this? Uh, what about that? But when it comes to, to ideas that validate their, their worldview, they let everything slide. Someone found a missing link. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, they didn't. It was a fake. Again. It was a fraud. Again. That same level of scrutiny doesn't apply. Now, Christians can be guilty of the same thing. People are guilty of the same thing. That's how people are. So we need to make sure that our desires and our expectations are rooted and grounded in the Word of God. That what I'm expecting to see in service, what I'm expecting to see uh, after I get up off of my knees in prayer, what I'm expecting to see in my life is rooted in the Word of God. Not in the world's expectations, not in my own carnal uh, thinking. Yeah, well, he's, he answers other people's prayers. He never seems to answer mine, so I'm expecting more of the same. That's not the Word of God, folks. God's Word doesn't tell me that at all. So I can conclude then that that statement is false. It's false. Word of God says that He does hear and He does answer prayers. So that's what I stand on. That way, we'll never be deceived and we'll never fall prey to things that are contrary to it. When a voice comes that isn't the Lord and tells us things that are contrary to Scripture, we'll see it right away. Mm, no, no, that's not what the Bible says. Go away. Be gone. Get. Amen. Day three. Leaders have to be present. They can't be aloof. They can't be stuck in their office uh, radioing down commands. Again, the leaders that we respect, they're present. They're amongst the people. How did Jesus lead? Jesus was the highest. He is the highest. But He is very present amongst His people. We see that all through the Old Testament. He comes down on a mountain, thunders and lightnings and black smoke, and it terrified the people. But all through the Old Testament, we see God's desire to be with His people. Not up in heaven looking down, but present in the tabernacle. Why is the tabernacle given in the Old Testament? So that God's presence can be amongst His people. That's why. God wants to be present in each of our lives. So how ought we to lead? We need to be present. Those that God has given us influence over. We need to be present in their lives. Amen. Day four. Solomon was available to everyone in his kingdom, including two prostitutes. Kind of jumping off of the, the previous. Uh, he was present. He didn't see himself as, as high and lofty and lifted up, although he definitely could have. Amongst the kings of Israel, this would have been the guy to do it. He was the richest. He was the wisest. He was the most powerful. His kingdom was the biggest in all of Israel. Even bigger than under King David. King Solomon's encompassed everything in that, in that 40 year period. They had everything that God had promised to them. They lost it right after. Some believe that wisdom starts with knowing that we know nothing. Now, that sounds clever and it sounds intelligent, but 
That's not what the Bible says, does it? The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Folks, all knowledge and all understanding is in Jesus Christ. All of it. Your understanding of the chemical composition of water. Your understanding of history. Engineering. Math. All understanding is in Jesus Christ. And here's why. Here's why the Bible says that. Because none of that makes any sense without Him. I don't have time to get into that. But nothing in reality, nothing in creation makes sense at all. Physical or abstract. Unless God exists. It doesn't. Wisdom does require humility and an understanding that we must rely on God, who is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. Amen. Day five, the tragedies in our lives, if given to God, can work out something miraculous in us. Again, viewing those tragedies, those circumstances from a different perspective. The perspective of God is molding me. He's shaping me. He's purging me of things that are displeasing to Him, and He's putting things into me that will please Him. When I look at it from that perspective, I can be thankful in the midst of these tough and difficult situations. Amen. Our lesson for today. spent more on that than I wanted to. Uh, Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. We're starting a new month. We're starting a new month. So uh, this month we're going to be touching on the parables of Jesus. Four particularly. This first one is found in Mark chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1. He began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Amen. Ann Sullivan became Helen Keller's tutor on March 3, 1887. It was a challenging task to help Helen understand words, since she was not only deaf, but blind as well. Ann Sullivan knew what it was like to be visually impaired. She had undergone many botched operations at a young age before her sight was partially restored. Anne was 14 years older than Helen. She watched as Helen wreaked havoc on the household with undisciplined outbursts and temper tantrums. Anne felt her ability to reach Helen was solely dependent upon discipline and love. 
and got permission to move Helen to a nearby cottage to work with her alone, and began teaching Helen by manually signing into the child's hand. Helen learned quickly. She formed the letters correctly and in the correct order, but she could not comprehend the words she was spelling. One day, Anne was trying to teach Helen the difference between the nouns mug and milk. Helen confused them with the verb drink. Anne took Helen outside to the water pump and let the water pour over Helen's hand. With the other hand, Anne spelled W-A-T-E-R. Suddenly, the signals made sense. Helen knew that water meant that wonderful, cool substance flowing over her hand. She dropped to the ground and patted the earth, demanding its letter name. By that evening, Helen had learned 30 words. Anne Sullivan had been called, has been called the miracle worker because of the success she had with Helen Keller. The key was that Anne found a way to connect what she was teaching Helen with something to which Helen could relate. Cool water on her skin made such an impression that when Anne spelled it in her hand, the light bulb turned on. Many have asked why Jesus taught in parables. As the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus knew the best way to get his message across was to make a connection to which people would be able to relate. Using common acts and examples as illustrations for truth was the key to helping those whose hearts were open to understand. It was also a key to protect the truth from being abused by those who were not listening with open hearts. All right. So, the parable of the sower. We've all heard this once or twice. We all understand uh, where we're going with this. Maybe. Maybe not. Okay, the sower has a responsibility, doesn't he? If I'm going out into the field to plant, I better make sure I have some seed with me. I mean, that kind of makes sense. If I don't have any seed, I'm not going to get a whole lot of sowing done. Okay, Jesus said the seed is the Word. If I don't have any Word in me, I have nothing with which to sow, do I? Here's where I plug studying the Word of God. Memorizing the Word of God. Amen. Reading it every day. Getting it in our hearts. We've got to have God's Word hidden in our heart, folks. It's got to be inside of us. When we go to... I mean... It would be nice if we could carry a Bible around with us everywhere, concordance and all of those tools. But uh, sometimes we're stuck in a situation, talking to someone in line at the grocery store or, or wherever it might be, and I don't have my Bible on me. So the Lord brings to remembrance that which He has sown unto us. And when we speak with people, that that's in here... God will bring out. But it's got to be in here first. There's nothing in here. There's nothing for God to bring out. Kind of makes sense. So we need the Word of God. We need seed. And then after that, I'm responsible to sow. How do we sow? Generously. We throw seeds everywhere. We don't pre-qualify people. We don't try to determine what, what's the best ground. Now, I do pray, and I believe God leads us to people who are prepared to receive the Word of God, whose hearts are ready to receive the Gospel. I think that's prudent. But whoever's available, if they want to hear, I'm going to tell them. I'll give them my testimony. I'll give them something. This is what God is doing. This is what God has done for me. He could do the same for you. Now here's some things the sower is not responsible for. Making sure enough rain falls on the seeds. Am I responsible for when it rains? Absolutely not. A lot of people would be angry with me. Because I don't like a lot of rain. Or let it rain at night. And be nice and sunny during the day. That sounds good. But I'm not responsible for the amount of rainfall that falls on that farmer's field. I may have sown the seed, but I'm not responsible for the rain. I'm not responsible to make sure that that seed buds and grows. I can't pick the seed apart and pull the bud out. 
We all know it doesn't work like that. That's an act of God. God is responsible for that. I'm not responsible for how much sun shines on them. That's not my responsibility. The sun shines when it shines. It's cloudy when it's cloudy. I have nothing to do with that. That's God. But we've got to sow abundantly. We've got to sow to whosoever will. Mark 16.15 says, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Now, I don't think it's prudent to throw our pearls before swine either. If they are obviously hostile, uh, I'll do what I can. But if, if someone's going to be argumentative, the Bible speaks about that too. Don't get into an argument with someone. We'll just agree to disagree. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to pray for them. God will open a door, hopefully, Lord willing. But if someone is interested, I don't care what they look like, smell like, if they're asking questions, I'm going to answer them to the best of my ability. I'm going to, I'm going to find every opportunity I can to lead them into a, uh, some deeper truths, maybe a Bible study. But we've got to understand that we're speaking to whosoever will. We're speaking to anyone that, that, that God opens a door with. But the results are not up to us. How they receive it, the condition of their heart, that's not up to us. That's up to them, and it's up to God. Ah, and there's a telling statement. It's up to them. The condition of our hearts, folks, is up to us. If I have a hardened heart, that's my problem. That's not God's problem. More on that in a moment. So that means we can't get discouraged if we don't see immediate results. I'm sowing the Word. That's my responsibility. That's all, that's all the responsibility I have. Make sure the Word gets out. Galatians 6, 7-9 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I get it, folks, and a lot of you guys get it too. It can become tiresome when we're doing the work of God. We're doing what we know we're supposed to do and nothing happens. I don't know how many Bible studies I've taught since coming to the Lord. To date, I still have not had one person that I'm aware of come into the church because of it. I haven't taught thousands. I've taught probably over a hundred or so. And, and for a time, I stopped. I stopped because why bother? This is a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. We could be doing something else more productive. But the Lord spoke to me about that. And uh, you probably already know what he told me. That the results are not up to you. Your responsibility is to teach. Your responsibility is to sow the seed. The results are up to me. Amen. So, with that information, I felt a whole lot better. And I renewed my efforts. Amen. We're responsible to sow good seed. Not just any seed. If I go out into the field and I have the wrong seed, I have acorns. That's seed, right? That's the wrong seed. We're planting corn today. I can't harvest oak trees. I can't do anything with oak trees. I can... I can Sell corn, I can make money on corn. Or how about bad corn seed? Moldy, old. There's, I can put it in the ground, but nothing's going to happen. It's not good seed. It's not going to do anything. 
1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4 says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. And Galatians 1, 8 says, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There's only one seed that we are to sow. And that is the only good seed there is to sow. The Word of God. The Word of God is good seed. Amen. Now, if the seed doesn't grow, that doesn't mean it's bad seed. It might be bad soil. Amen. But we know if the seed is good, it's not the seed's problem. Different soils. Wayside, stony, and thorny soil. Some landed on hard-packed ground where people walked, and birds came and gobbled it up. Some fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. Some fell among the weeds and plants with thorns that choked out the good seed. Folks, these types of grounds are not conducive to healthy growth. If my entire field consisted of that, what would most people tell me to do first? Clean it up. Yeah. Plow that stuff under. Get the rocks out. Soil that has been conditioned has been tilled, fertilized, rid of all stones that could hinder growth. We said just a moment ago, we are responsible for the conditions of our hearts. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speakings as newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Who is to lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and evil speakings? Who's responsible to do that? I am. He's telling me I need to do that. I need to clean up my own field. I need to get the rocks out. I need to make sure the fallow ground is broken up. Now God can help me with that, and I'm praying that God does help me with that. Keeps it fertile soil. Keeps it moist. Keeps it full of, of nutrients and, and everything it needs for the Word to grow. But if it gets a little hard, if it gets a little fallow, if thorns start growing up, whose fault is that? God's? I would say not. The world's? Well, they may have introduced it, but I'm the one that said yes. It's my fault. It's my responsibility. And folks, that has always been such a relief to me when something was in my power, when something was my responsibility, because now I don't have to wait for you to help me. Now I don't have to wait for someone to come along and tell me how to do this. I can just do it myself. Isn't that awesome? I'm responsible. So whenever I decide, whenever I make the choice, it's done. It's taken care of. Whenever I decide to discipline myself, whenever I decide to clean out the rocks, the thorns, the weeds, whenever I decide to do all that, it's a done deal. I'm back where I need to be. The Lord helping me. Anything that would hinder the growth of God's Word in us needs to be removed. Anything. Even if it's something that may be considered... Not bad, neutral, or even good. If it's hindering my growth in God, if it's hindering my walk with God in any way, it needs to go. Things like... Uh, I'll be talking about it later. Moving on. Hearing the Word with a closed mind. What does it mean to hear? Everyone's hearing my voice right now. But is everyone perceiving the understanding? Is everyone receiving what's being said? Is everyone listening with the intent of taking action on it? That's something way different. Uh-oh. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> There's a difference between hearing the vibrations in the air 
to understanding what's being said and, and, and desiring to, to take action on it. Those are two entirely different things. My wife gets on me all the time with this because what I'm here's my excuse. When I'm focused on something, when I'm into something, it's hard for me to break off from that and, and start doing something else. And conversely, when I'm talking with her and then I have to get back into what I was doing, it's hard for me, again, to make that transition. It, it takes a while for me to, to change gears. And so she'll be talking to me when I'm on the computer. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, okay. And then I eventually I'll hear the word, did you hear what I just said? I'm like, I heard it. I heard you talking. I remember understanding what you said, but I can't remember it now. <laughs> so I'm like, no, honey, could you repeat it, please? <laughs> I'm, hearing, I'm hearing sounds, but I'm not perceiving any information. There's no understanding there. That, yeah, that's the difference between hearing and understanding. Some listened, but they did not hear. They didn't receive the message that Jesus was trying to convey. People who hear God's Word with a closed mind is like hard soil that is packed down so the seed cannot penetrate that hardened earth. A closed mind, folks, is the result of a hardened heart. When your mind is closed to the Word of God, that's the result of, that's, that's a condition of someone's heart. They won't hear it. They won't receive it. Because their heart is hard. And their heart is hard, folks, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, on purpose. It's hard because of their choices. It's hard because that's, that's where they want it to be. All of us came to the Lord in various soil stages, if I can say it that way. But all of us had one thing in common at some point. We had a desire to know more. We had a desire for the things of God. Somewhere along the way, Jesus broke up my fallow ground to the point anyway where I could receive the Word of God. I could receive it when the preacher said I needed to repent of my sins. I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. I needed the Holy Ghost. Where before, I'd have been like, yeah, okay. I'd have been polite. But as soon as I got away, uh -huh, I was free. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't need it. My heart was hard. But at some point, it wasn't hard anymore. God needs to change people's minds. They need, he, needs, he needs to give them understanding to the point where God can start breaking that up. Amen. We give the word to someone, we give our testimony to someone, and they don't respond. You've done what you need to do. That's all we can do. I can't lead someone to a place of repentance. I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to fill someone with the Holy Ghost. But God has... He's reserved that to Himself. He's the one that fills people with the Holy Ghost. He's the one that leads people to a place of repentance. Gives them conviction of sin and godly sorrow. Not us. Because the Word sits there on the hard surface, the enemy comes in and plucks it up. So we need to pray, not only for those that we're ministering to, that their hearts are well-tilled and receptive to God's Word, but that our hearts remain well-tilled and receptive to God's Word. Jeremiah 4.3 says, Thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Who is to break up the fallow ground? We are. God is telling them, You break up your fallow ground. Now I believe the Lord helps us with that. Gives us the desire and the ability to do that like He does with everything else. But, Ultimately, again, like all things spiritual, the choice is mine. I have got to decide in my heart, that's what I want. I want, I want a heart that's receptive to the Word of God. I want a heart that's soft and tender in His presence. Not this. Not 
fallow, not hard. That starts with me. Hearing the word without deep roots. In stony ground they received the seed and it sprouted quickly, but because the earth is shallow, the seed only lasts a short time. Why do you want grass to grow longer and not shorter? Doesn't shorter grass look better? Most people think shorter grass looks better. But you get one day without rain and it's all brown. Why is that? Because short grass, has, they have no roots. The long grass has deeper roots. And it'll stay green longer. Yeah. Interesting. Why do we want deep roots as Christians? Well, just like the longer grass can sustain itself in dry conditions a little bit longer, when we have deep roots, we can be sustained in difficult situations a little bit longer. We all know people. We have all experienced it in our walks with God. People come in and they're excited. And man, they're, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And, and they're all in. Till next week, something happens and they're all out. What happened? They had no roots. So we are sustained in difficult seasons. Roller coaster Christians versus stable and consistent Christians. Primarily, the reason is the root system. There are people. That I know, and you're, you guys are some of them. You're going to be the same no matter what's going on in your life. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. How you doing? Oh, things are good. God is good. And I know for a fact things aren't good with you. I know for a fact there's things going on in your lives. But you're not going to show it. You're not, I mean, consistency. Things are going great with you guys. How's it going? God is good. God's great. Things are good. Just the same. I don't think that's always a bad thing. There are times where if you need help, you need to say something. I need prayer. I, I could use a shoulder to cry on. I could, I could use someone to talk with. There are times when we need each other, folks. But this roller coaster up and down all the time, I don't think that's a good thing either. Oh, things are going awesome. Woohoo! And then one thing happens. Oh, I'm about to die. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And you give them 20 bucks and everything's good again. Oh, we're, we're doing great. I mean, it's, that's not good either. There's no roots there. We need, we need strong spiritual roots in our lives. And those that are... Those that are seasoned, those that do have strong, deep roots, they need to come alongside those that don't necessarily have as deep a root system and help them to establish, get them grounded, get them rooted in the Word of God. Amen. That doesn't just happen. That happens on purpose. Allowing care is to choke out the Word. In this category falls things like addictions, unhealthy habits, toxic or inappropriate relationships. There are addictions that most people find socially acceptable, especially in Pentecost. Amen. Did you know that you can be addicted to food? Food addictions are more addictive than cigarettes. And it's a lot harder to break. That's a scientific fact. That's pretty devastating to hear. Maybe some of us today are under that type of bondage. Any addiction, folks, anything that has power over us ought not be. Food addictions. We all know that caffeine can be addictive. I like a coffee every once in a while just like the rest of you guys. But I don't need it. If I, if I don't have it for a few days, I haven't had it for a few days. There are some people, they don't get their morning coffee, they're grouchy, they're angry. Folks, that's not, that's not right. Christians ought not be like that. That's an addiction. Social media addiction. Anyway, enough on that. There are all kinds of addictions that, that most people would consider socially acceptable, but they bring us under bondage. 
And we are not to be in bondage to anything. We are set free. Amen. Other things may not be bad, but can choke out the Word. A lot of, a lot of people here like sports. I don't mind that. I don't even mind going to a, to a basketball or football game. As long as that's not what consumes me. There are those that they worshipped sports when they came into church. I had one friend for sure like that. He had to stay away from the stuff. Because if, if he started getting into that again, that would consume him. I mean, he knew all the stats. He knew, he had memorized all that stuff. I don't have that problem. I could watch multiple games and I'd probably fall asleep. But uh, I like watching the recaps, the 15-minute recaps. That's good for me. I can, I can manage that. God blesses us with a promotion at work, and now we become focused on upward mobility and everything all this newfound money can buy. That's the blessing of God, folks. We've been faithful in serving God with our tithes and offerings, our time, and God blesses us. God gives you promotion at work, blesses you in some other avenue. Don't make that blessing into a stumbling block. God can take that away. And if it becomes a stumbling block, I pray God does take it away. Amen. Things that are okay in moderation can cause us to lose out with God if taken to excess. So we need to be careful. We need to discipline ourselves. Amen. This Christian walk is not simply one more part of an otherwise busy life. This is our life. This is who we are. Everything else has to revolve around God. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was the center of the camp. God must be the center of our lives and everything else, my career, my family, myself, it revolves around that. Everything focuses on God. Amen. We've got to hear and obey God's voice. James 1.22 says, Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We've got to do as well as hear. All right, again, it's up to us to make sure uh, our soil is soft and absorbent and nutrient-dense, ready to receive the Word of God. We need to evaluate the condition of our hearts frequently. Mark 4.9, I'm trying to wrap this up. Mark 4.9 says, He said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Again, we hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, but is there any understanding there? Is it being received? Is it being received with the intent to take action on it, to do something with it? It should be our ongoing mission as a Christian to, quote, hear and faithfully obey the Word of God today, unquote. Amen. We'll just stop right there. There are all kinds of soils as we go, uh, as we minister to different people, different needs. The conditions of their hearts are all different. Everyone is different. Personalities are different. We do everything we can to minister to those needs, to make connections like Jesus did with the parables. Try to relate to them. Relate spiritual truths in, in, in terms that they'll understand. They're a computer guru. If you know any computer terminology, throw that out there. Tie it to Scripture. Whatever it is. You're a carpenter. That's an easy one. God builds our lives. God has a blueprint for us. You know, blah, blah, blah. Carpenters can understand that stuff easy. Use terms that they'll understand. Make the connections that you can. And leave the rest up to God. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that in each of our lives, at some point, You broke up our fallow ground. You brought us to the place where we desired something more. We desired to receive the Word of God. We desired to receive truth from You. As we go out and minister to others, fulfilling the Great Commission, the commandment that You've given each of us to sow the seed, I pray, Lord, that You would make those hearts, those people that You bring into our lives, the doors of opportunity that You uh, present us with, Make them effectual, I pray. As we sow your word, let it be sown upon good ground. 
break up fallow ground, clear off rocks and, and thorns. When it's planted, Lord, sink deep roots quickly into them. I pray, O oh God, that you would make us effectual in your kingdom and in your service. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Uh, we're on break. We'll be back at a quarter till 4.